0: Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast,
1: where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature.
0: Coming to you from the high Allegheny Plateau in central New York,
1: we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill.
0: Episode 57 Big Magical Incense Energy with Sarah Mastros. Sarah is a witch for hire, a teacher, and an author. She's put out a translation of the Orphic Hymns and has just come out with The Big Book of Magical Incense. We have a really wonderful conversation, and we talk about what magic is, how she got into it at a young age, and about how to make incense, how you use it, and some of the wonderful plants that she uses, uh, like white pine, we go into depth into white pine, and using the resin from that uh, as an alternative to things like frankincense. We talk about roses and using rose petals for all sorts of magical purposes. We talk about tobacco and all sorts of other plants. Wealth magic. And we have a great time. And if you want to learn more, you can pick up her book at your local book store. Ask them to order it or at bookshop.com. Or if you really can't get it anywhere else, Amazon. <laughs> um, and as always, if you like what we're doing... You can support the podcast by becoming a patron at patreon.com plantcunning plant cunning. We'd like to thank new patrons, Portia Goh and Jim Brandt, and all of our patrons, especially the VIP patrons. You all make this possible for us to do. You can always share these episodes with your friends and uh, like and review us on iTunes and so on. Well, I hope that you enjoy the episode and you have a wonderful time with your family, if that's what you're doing. Okay, so today on the Plant Cunning Podcast, we have Sarah Mastros. How are you today, Sarah?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, we're really we're really excited. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. So you're based in Pittsburgh, and I I'm also from Pittsburgh, but we we moved in similar circles, but never really got a chance to meet before. Um. What so? What what do you do? You're you're a witch. You're an author. What? How do you describe yourself and and uh, what you do?
2: Well, so usually the phrase I use is "witch for hire," right? So professionally, basically, what I do is the sort of things that, like, in every culture, kind of a village witch does. I do things like tarot readings. I do home blessings. I do like when somebody wants a spell cast, they come to me and. Either we work something out and I teach them how to do it or I do it for them. Um, But primarily what I do is write and teach on witchcraft and sort of witchcraft adjacent topics like mythology and magic.
0: Cool. And uh, the reason we're talking about with you today is you just released the big book of magical incense. That's from Red Wheel Wiser, right?
2: Yes, correct. It just came out this week.
1: Congratulations. That's so rad.
2: Thank you. In fact, I'll tell people that some places online, it says it's not out until December 1st, but I assure you it started shipping last week. Many people have it in their hands already.
1: Amazing.
0: Yeah, it looks like a very useful guide to making incense and, you know, what what incense is. And, I mean, it seems like we're often used to just, like, getting those stick incenses from the, uh, (laughs) you know, the... The Gas tobacco, and store, tobacco store, yeah,
2: yeah. I honestly hate those things. <laughs> yeah. well, they make a giant mess, and I'm like already a slob, so I cannot have things in my life that just like randomly leave piles of ash on every surface <laughs> of my house. But also, like, they're. They're almost always, like not all of them, right? There are plenty of stick incenses that really are like made with quality ingredients, but a lot of them are really nothing but like synthetic perfume oils. And I'm just not a big fan of them. And for magic, a lot of times, like we're really calling on sort of like the inherent virtues of the, the living plant spirit that's present in the plant material. And it's hard to do that with a like, synthetic petroleum based incense stick. Yeah. So I started moving to like whole plant incenses and I never turned back.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's that's really true cuz like sometimes you'll try to get a specific type of plant incense from the store and then you burn it and you're like this is not that, you this know. is, not, this a break is not right. Exactly, or it's just an instant headache. So yeah, that's that's really cool. So do you remember when you first made your first incense, what, what brought you to
2: that? Gosh. Um, I mean, I guess first I was just burning like sort of whole resins. So things like frankincense. And then I would think to myself, you know, what would be good with this a little bit of cinnamon. And I would just like dig around my kitchen and like throw some other things on because I feel like for me, and I imagine also for like our most ancient ancestors, um, there's something, there's like a very primal power to like throwing things on a fire, belching up clouds of like beautiful smelling smoke. So once I, the first time I put like raw frankincense resin on charcoal and like listened to it sizzle hmm. and saw the smoke go up, I was like, oh, I'm gonna like everything on fire. And <laughs> That's
1: amazing. Yeah. yeah.
2: And then once I started working with the Greek magical papyri, a lot of times they have like very specific recipes for particular kinds of incense. And Mm -hmm. I'd started, I started making those. And then, I don't know, it just blossomed out from there.
0: Yeah. So usually our first question for guests is what brought you to the plant path or what brought you to the magical path? Um, So.
3: So, Yeah. (laughs) I'm going
2: to answer both of those questions Cool. Um, because so um, one of the things that I think, and the, the answers sort of twine together, right? So I sort of always had an interest in magic in the way that I, I guess I'm told that some little kids are not into magic, but I personally just find that hard to believe. I feel like everyone starts off interested in magic and we lose our interest over time. But um, when I was relatively young, I stumbled across a book on witchcraft labeled as nonfiction. And I mean, I was eight years old, but I knew what nonfiction meant. That meant it was real and I was very excited. So I got into that and, you know, very early on, I was given to understand that like herbs were things witches knew new about, right? But something that I feel really blessed about like coming up as an addition is I had a co-magician right away. So my best friend, I'm not sure she wants to be called out, Um, is today a naturopath who specializes in herbal medicine. But like when we were coming up, she was just like a girl who was really into plants, right? So like growing up with her meant that like, as we studied witchcraft together, she was very into the herbal aspect. And so I learned a lot of that, even though I will say like, I did not have an immediate calling to that kind of magic. But I mean, I do love, plants as I sort of feel like anyone who breathes oxygen probably does at some point
3: Mm -hmm. yeah
2: (laughs) so I sort of came in really early and so for me like my understanding of my interest in herbalism was always wrapped up in my interest in magic but my best friend was like extremely interested in herbal medicine and that means I like sort of learned a lot of that along the way. Right. So for example, like we lived together briefly while she was in naturopath school. So I heard some of that. She teaches herbal medicine now in, in the naturopathy school that she went to. So like I, her influence, I would say is the strongest one that like brought me to the plant
3: path.
1: Mm. Mm. So that was from when you were in middle or high school, you said? Oh, uh, and we met in Girl Scouts in the third oh, grade. But wow. then
2: but she went to a private school at that point. So we were friends, but not super friendly. But when she came, when we were both started ninth grade, we started high school. She started going to the public school where I went. And um, because we were both a year ahead in math, like almost our entire schedule overlapped. And we just like became super close at that point because we were spending all day together. And like, I don't know. I I feel like not all weird kids are blessed to have a partner in weirdness the way I did, but like we were really well-matched, you know? So cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, what a blessing to have, you know, a a deep friend on the magical path that early on. Um, It, it, I mean, I think that friends are just such a crucial part of anybody's spiritual path or anybody, you know, anybody's life path. like who you hang out with and who you talk with, they influence you and you influence them. So you're, I mean, it, it's just, it's really, it's really cool. I mean, I don't even have any friends except for my siblings uh, from that long ago.
2: (laughs) Yeah. I think that a lot of times we talk about how important it is to have a teacher,
0: but, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: and like, I think a good teacher is important, but I didn't have a teacher for the first, I don't know, two decades of my magical career really, right? But what I always had was co-magicians. And yeah. sometimes I think that's even better, right? Because you like have to explain yourself to them. Mm. Yeah. And so you, you learn to like, I think a lot of times when you're, especially when you're in the early phases of studying magic, it's sort of easy for it all to kind of stay in your head and never like really manifest into anything right? But when you have a partner, you have to manifest it out of yourself and into the world where in order to collaborate on it and even in order to even just talk about it, you have to like be able to sort of firm it up into a real world thing. And I think that's just extremely valuable.
0: Yeah. And there's also that little bit of like of rivalry, like friendly (laughs) rivalry where it's like, you're like leapfrogging off of each other.
2: Absolutely. In fact, it's funny. You should say that because in my magical circle we explicitly sort of have a practice of like co-initiation that we call leapfrogging.
1: Mm. Oh, that's interesting. (laughs)
2: You're like every time somebody makes an advance, you have to like flip the other person for like, we bounce the other person off of you so that everyone's moving
1: forward.
0: Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's wonderful. So one of the things that I like to do is when, I'm interviewing anybody is like ask like basic questions, like okay. what is magic, you know? Because everyone has a different understanding of these things, and I think it's good to like define our terms and to to see how how what you know what somebody like you, who has been been at this so long and so deeply, you know what you what your perspective is on it. So so what what is magic to you?
2: So- I think that's a surprisingly difficult question, but broadly I think that it's easiest to talk about magic sort of by like refining it in from what it's not, right? So a lot of modern people will start with a definition like magic is the art of causing change through application of will. And like, okay, but so is basically all other human activity, right? (laughs) But we can start there, right? Magic is about like, Taking, moving, taking something that you want to be true and turning it into something that is true. Right. Um, but I think magic is distinguished from other activities because it operates along a sort of invisible or non standard causal chain. And I know that sounds like a cop out to say, like, well, it's magic if you don't know how it works. But that's not what I'm saying. I'm right. I'm not saying that it's. Um, its causal chain is unknowable, right? I'm saying it's invisible, right? It is. It operates in a realm of reality to which humans do not have sensory access.
3: Right. right, yeah.
2: And that it is mysterious, right? Because lots of things, I mean, magnetism also happens in a realm to which humans have very limited sensory access, right? Like that's not enough, but it's also mysterious with a capital M, right? The causal chain when you are inside of it, right? Is something that you are experiencing that changes you. It is transformative. And it is something that is so natural and inherent to humans that every time you are inside that magic current, you think to yourself, holy shit, magic is real. How (laughs) did I forget this? But Mm. then once you're out of that magic state, like the nature of a mystery is that when you participate in it, you know, you know with one hundred percent surety that it is true. But when you are out of that mysterious state, it's it's sort of ineffable. Like you can't talk about it in a way that doesn't sound like nonsense,
1: uh-huh.
2: right? And to me, that that's sort of the core element of magic, right? That that the causes the like the period between the space between. Will and fact, right? You want something to be true. Uh, 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 uh. Somehow I'm moving my hands around, but I realize we're on radio and you can't see that at all. <laughs> um, but I'm waving my hands around in the air like a crazy person, right? Yeah. And then that that's where the magic is. And then somehow the thing that you wanted to be true is true. And a lot of times in magic, it somehow always was true.
3: Like it's mm-hmm. hard
2: to remember that it used to be false. So I find that a lot, especially in the cases of like magical healing, right? By the end, like once the healing has been accomplished, if you ask the person, right? The person who has been healed about it, they'll start to tell you like, oh, that was, I never even was in pain. And then you go back to your beginning of the session notes and I'm like, well, you said it was like a eight out of 10 before. And now you're saying it's two out of 10 and it always was, right? So that's like a characteristic of magic is that it not only makes things that are counterfactual, it turns them into things that are factual, but it has some sort of like weird effect, right? Yeah. Where it's hard to remember that it used to be counterfactual. It didn't used to be that way.
0: Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. Um, and one of, the, one of the definitions that I, that i hear people say is mm-hmm. one of the one of the definitions that i hear people talk about is uh the art and science of cha- of causing change in consciousness in accordance with will that that consciousness bit yeah. and i think that's a yeah w- 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 what's your take on that
2: so i think that like that's part of it but i will say that if like if the only changes that are occurring are inside your own consciousness I am generally leery to call that magic. Just like I was saying before about when you're first studying, it's hard to get it out of your consciousness and into the world. I do think that, like, that piece is necessary. Now, some magic, right, is exclusively about changing consciousness, either your own or someone else's, right? But I don't think that's like a... I guess what I would say is that this is sort of like a necessary component, right? Magic does involve changing your consciousness into what I was describing as sort of that mystery state, right? Mm -hmm. But that's that's not magic, that's mystery. You then have to do things in that mystery state that come back out of that ripple, out of the mystery state, out of the, the magic consciousness into the manifest world. For me, I would, Call that magic. Yeah. But I will also say that, like, you know, I think it is equally hard to really explain what almost anything important is. Right.
3: <laughs> I, I think, right. no, I
2: really mean it. Like, I think if you ask, here's a conversation, I once had a conversation with the, like, a, I, I think like the head curator at the Carnegie Museum of Art, but I didn't know that was her job at the time. So I basically just like, Ma'am explained what art is to her. (laughs) And she was like, oh, well. And then, like, we had a fascinating conversation. But, like, what is art or what is medicine or Mm -hmm. what is science? I think are equally difficult questions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that
2: doesn't like, that's not because they don't exist. It's because they're like big, complicated things that it is hard to like boil down into a short definition.
0: Yeah. So, and I guess also like consciousness can mean. I mean, in some people's view, like everything is consciousness, right? <laughs> but <laughs> I mean, there's ways to expand that, I guess, but I, I, I get your point. The, the other thing that I see often in when people talk about magic is mm-hmm. that it's, it's about power in a certain way. And some people, I mean, think it's like all about power. Um, but I mean, I think it's a lot, a lot more than that, but what, what, what is your take on that? Like, what is, is power necessary to magic? Are are these too big of words?
3: (laughs) Here's
2: the thing. My academic training is as a mathematician. So I'm always a little like, you know, reticent to talk about undefined terms, right? Mm -hmm. So I know this again sounds like a cop-out, but it kind of depends what power means. But certainly, like most sort of human activities, there is some amount of like power in the sense of like the power to make volitional action and make changes in the world.
3: Yeah, Let ability.
2: You think that, but I also think that magic involves power in sort of a more narrowly defined sense, right? Mm. In the fact that like that motive force for changing things, like the intention is coming from the magician, right? But the power is partly coming from the magician's own body, right? And we have practices Mm -hmm. for building that kind of power, like say Qigong and some kinds of yoga, like are designed to build the fundamental vital power of the body, right? But there are lots of other places that magical power comes from, right? So it comes from the earth and the stars and it comes from our plant allies Mm -hmm. and it comes from like other spirits that we work with, right? Mm -hmm. And I will say that that is sort of an essential feature of magic, right? So I don't know if it's quite a definitional feature, but it is the case that like broadly we work, like that the power for magic is not necessarily fully inside your own body, but is worked in alliance with other spirits. And I know that's kind of a controversial claim that some people like want to define a magic that is purely spirit free. And I'm not saying they're doing it wrong, but historically in English, like, magic is worked in alliance with spirits. Mm. Mm-hmm. But, the, but to me, spirit is a lot of things, like a, a tree right. that is a spirit, a mm-hmm. mountain that is a spirit, like, anything with whom you can be in relationship. If you treat it like a person, and I would argue that broadly, we are best served, the wisest course of action is to treat everything like a person, and mm-hmm. as few things as possible as, like, object. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like broadly, I would say it's better to treat things, especially living things as people. Right. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's really what it means when we say something is a spirit, right? Like to me, a pine tree is a spirit because it is a person with whom I can be in relationship. Right. Mm -hmm. But there's certainly a different way to look at a pine tree where it is an object from which I can extract utility. And Mm -hmm. I guess I feel like that secondary view
1: has gotten us in some trouble.
2: Yeah, right. I mean, like, I'm not saying there are there are times when that's the correct viewpoint to have, but our culture is like very much sort of overbalanced in that direction in a way that is literally destroying the entire world. Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, and there's also the tendency to treat other human people as objects.
2: exactly, exactly.
0: So, and the other part of of that. Um, people sometimes will contrast, you know, power with wisdom or like, um, uh, like practical magic with like initiation or something like that. What, what is your um, take on, on the wisdom component or on the initiation component?
2: I'm in favor of it. (laughs) Um, You know, I think, I think sometimes, right. We unintentionally set up a dichotomy between those Mm -hmm. two things, right? Even as you said, like wisdom in contrast to power. But I do not understand those things to be in conflict with one another, right? And that honestly, wisdom is of very little value without the power to enact it, right? And similarly, that power is of little value without the wisdom to know what to apply that power to.
0: Yeah, in fact, I can-
2: Like go hand in hand.
0: It can even be extremely dangerous (laughs) to have power without wisdom.
2: Yeah, I mean, I I came into magic quite young, as I imagine, as I mentioned. And so as you might imagine, I have a lot of very stupid uh, teenage magic that I I and I want to say I regret. But I mean, I was a teenager and teenagers do dumb stuff. Do you and have like, any
1: example of, like, a dumb teenage magic thing that you can share? Oh, uh, like or...
2: impulsive love spells. Oh, oh yeah. Which, like, right. are both ethically a little ooky. Uh-huh. But also, just, like, practically, like, from a wisdom, like, in addition to an ethical standpoint, from a wisdom standpoint, they're just a bad idea.
3: Yeah.
1: yeah. Like, it
2: doesn't end well. No, I don't know. Whose 15-year-old yeah. relationship does end well, so.
1: <laughs> Great.
2: Like, I guess I feel like the ethics of that situation for teenagers are maybe a little, like, less squid. Like, if you're going to make that mistake, I think it's better to make it at 15 than as an adult when I feel like you have a real possibility of, like, ruining multiple people's lives.
1: True that. Yeah. Yeah.
2: But, I mean, every reason a 15-year-old has for being in a romantic relationship is stupid, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, i <almost. laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's usually just lust, I think.
2: Oh, I don't know. Lust, validation. Valid, yeah. Angry.
0: Popularity, yeah.
2: So I've seen a wide variety of stupid teenagers.
1: (laughs) Yeah, so about the the incense, um, what do you use incense for? Like, what are the different uses, just to start with the basics?
2: So I think broadly you can categorize the use of incense in a couple of different ways, right? At the most basic, incense makes things smell nice, Mm -hmm. right? And from there, it sort of branches out, right? So you can use incense to sort of like set a mood in a space, right? So like I, I have incenses that like, if I'm gonna have a party, this is the incense I burn, right? Or if I know I'm going to have like a difficult conversation with my roommates, I might put a little bit of like sort of peace and harmony and love incense in the background, sort of set a mood, right? Because scent has a very immediate like action on humans, both on mood and like in a physical way. So there are healing incenses. I don't really Mm -hmm. talk about that much in the book because the book is really aimed at people who don't have a lot of basis in herbalism and so just like cursing you know healing smoke is a little tricky to manage as smoke is generally not good for humans so I didn't talk too much about that in the book right but there are like healing incenses right and there's then there's
0: moxa there the, the the stuff moxa. in moxa yeah they do that in Chinese. yeah absolutely mm.
2: Um, yeah, so Moxa is um, is mugwort,
3: mm-hmm.
2: right? And so like, it's relatively safe and you can also smoke. I mean, I don't, people listening know what mugwort is, right? I'm gonna <laughs> wait, go back to the question, sorry. Um, so then as we move into magic, right? Um, incense sort of comes out in two ways. The first one is as an offering to a spirit, right? Mm-hmm. You are giving them a gift. Incense is a very, very traditional offering to a variety of spirits in almost all cultures. I think that's for a couple of reasons. It's really value dense, like small physical quantities of it are worth a lot in trade. And that is broadly a thing that makes for a good offering, but also something that's not always clear to like modern magicians who are rarely performing large group ritual, but like incense goes straight up. And it is visible and smellable from quite far away, right? And I think that that gives you like a dramatic force in an offering, especially when you are making an offering to like celestial spirits, like it goes up in a very like sort of easy to understand metaphor right? Theatrical metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. And then we have incenses that are basically what are sometimes called condition formulas, where the magic itself is relying on like the special virtues of the plant. Or, I mean, every, there are some incense materials, ingredients that are not plants, but it's mostly plants.
1: Yeah. So what are some of those, your uh, favorite materials that you use for making incense?
2: Uh, I would say my favorites for when I'm making incense for myself, Mm -hmm. right, are probably pine resin, um, mugwort, and rose petals.
3: Wow. And part
2: of the reason for that is like, those are all plants that I like grow here. So I have like, you know, a relationship with the living plant with whom I'm working. Mm. Right. But when I'm making incenses like for sale, Um, I really like cinnamon, Um, almost, if I put cinnamon in anything, people will love it. Like everyone just loves the smell of cinnamon. It's got like a warm, fiery aspect. Um, It's great for like love magic and luck magic. And then I really like frankincense. Mm
3: -hmm. I like
2: it a lot. Um, For my personal work, I've been almost entirely transitioning to pine resin. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know, frankincense is a little difficult to ethically source, mm-hmm. right? So I'm really careful. Like in the incense I I make for sale, I do put a lot of effort into making sure that like the materials I'm using were like grown and harvested and sold in a way that is like in accord with my ethics, because I don't I don't want that nastiness like mixed up in my magic.
1: Usually. Yeah. Right.
2: Okay. Um, but it's actually almost impossible. It's hard actually to buy. Large quantities of pine resin, and I can't wildcraft. Like I could not sustainably wildcraft enough to like produce incense in commercial volumes. Mm,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Like my poor tree <laughs> would give up the ghost.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's a really important point, I think, especially when magic is so much about um, relating with the spiritual world mm-hmm. and treating all the spirits as people and uh, being in right relation with all of them. Uh, It's, I mean, that's so important to be, to be treating the plants that you were you know, using and help and using for help uh, in a, in a good way.
2: I agree because otherwise why would they want to help me?
0: Right. Yeah.
2: (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. But for personal use, I really think that much more so than like following a specific recipe, it's like, it's better to like work with plants you yourself have harvested from like plants you have grown or like you have met and have an ongoing relationship with. So one of the things I'm trying to do in the book is teach people sort of like the complicated art of substitution.
3: Right? Uh I think a
2: lot of times when we look at magical recipes, they have all these like weird, obscure ingredients. And you think to yourself, like, how did they ever come up with that? But like, I think it goes the other way, right? When I'm making a recipe, I don't I don't like scour the whole world and think of anything I could possibly use and then write a recipe. I kind of like open my pantry of weird junk and see what's in there, right? Uh-huh. So like, uh-huh. for example, once at a yard sale, I bought a bunch of vials, which I think were intended for tourists, of ash from the Mount St. Helens explosion. Wow. So like, that's a weird ingredient that I use in magic a lot because I happen to have a lot of it. But yeah. if I write down a recipe, people are like, oh, my God, where am I supposed to get volcano ash? Right. Or I once at accident- Russia Hashanah, we accidentally left a bottle of honey outside overnight and a lot of ants drowned in that honey. So I have a jar full of ants drowned in honey that I'm not really sure what magic I'm going to do with but it's going to be really weird and cool ingredient for something. And I think that a lot of times that's the case. So when we look at ancient recipes, a lot of times they call for ingredients that seem really obscure to us, but are actually like very normal. Like they are just buying them at their local farmer's market kind of ingredient for them. Right. Right. So I think that Like for me, my goal in this book is not so much to provide recipes that I want people to like follow exactly, but to provide like some in-depth analysis of why those ingredients are in that recipe in a way that allows people to like use those recipes as inspiration to create their own recipes from their own pantry.
0: Yeah. We talk about uh, master recipes uh, with some previous guests about Mm -hmm. like- so, so for instance, like hot and sour soup is a, is a recipe that we use. And it depends on like what's in season, you know, what sure. mushrooms are in season, what broth yes. we're using, all that kind of stuff. But if you understand the master recipe, the form, then you can use whatever you have.
2: Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so to that end, like the book is about half recipes, but the other half of the book, I just sort of like go through different ingredients um, which I've categorized, right? And, and they're quite broad categories, like, and they're the ones you would expect. So they're categorized by like resin or like herbs. And then I just categorize by like the family of plant that it is, right? Or aromatic woods. And mm-hmm. I sort of talk about both how you use that broad category and then sort of like distinctions inside that category so that you can substitute out while knowing like why it is that you started with that. Like if you, if you look at a recipe that calls for a very specific resin, right? Maybe it calls for myrrh, right? Can you substitute frankincense? Can you substitute pine resin? Well, like if you understand what role myrrh is playing in the recipe, then you can make those choices. And you might understand that like in, instead of substituting with just frankincense, you might need to substitute with like frankincense and cedar, right? Because myrrh has a lot of like funereal underworld qualities that Mm -hmm. frankincense very much doesn't have, right? So you might want to pull in cedar, which is another like traditional incense very much associated with the underworld, right? So that even though frankincense and cedar does not smell like myrrh, right? It produces a similar magical action in certain contexts.
1: Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. I definitely do that when I'm formulating herbal formulas for a client if I'm Mm -hmm. out of a certain herb I can think about what the properties I'm going for and maybe what I do have in the apothecary yeah exactly
2: exactly I mean and I think that's how like when I first started this book I really thought about like like it's it's essentially a cookbook right? And so I thought about like, how do I use cookbooks? And hand to God, I don't think I have ever once made a recipe out of a cookbook exactly the way the cookbook would <laughs> do. Yeah. I just can, like read it for inspiration. And I think to myself, oh, I never would have thought to put fennel with pork chops.
3: Mm, but like,
2: mm-hmm. oh, that's a really good combination. I'm going to use that in this soup, mm-hmm. right? That has those ingredients in it. And so that's the way I thought about it, right? Mm-hmm. As like, giving people a background on which they could like improvise.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And that's, that's how I cook too. Uh, and I, I, you know, do it by taste. Um, but I, that, that's, that's a really, I mean, that's, that's a, it's a good way to do things, I think. Um,
1: so I wanted to ask you too, that um, there's different types of incense you know, using uh, loose incense or cones. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if you could go over the different types that you describe in your book.
2: Sure. So the book primarily is about loose incense from which you can make other kinds, right? So basically to make other things from loose incense, you grind the incense down to a powder and add in some different things. So I talk a little bit about like forming it into cones, the easy, which, which is sort of the simplest, right? Where you basically just grind it down to a powder, like put in a little water to get it to like a dough texture, depending what's in your incense. You sometimes have to add some filler to get it to stick together. And you just form it into cones, right? You can make sticks that way, but I will say, first of all, as I mentioned, I hate sticks so I never make them, but also it's not that easy. Like it requires an amount of clever handedness that I do not have to like roll out that incense paste thin enough around a punk stick to make sticks. So sticks are actually usually made from oil but you can make oil from incense, right? So again, you just grind it up really fine and basically like slow simmer it in an oil. Now, of course, for people who have like more experience making tinctures and oils, like you can also make them in more sophisticated ways. Um, Every time you change the, the medium, right? So when you go from like a whole plant incense to an oil, you sometimes have to adjust the proportions a little bit because different things like um, extract out differently in different media, right? You can also almost all incenses, you can grind them up, um, and put them in a bag and use them in the bath, right? As a magical bath. Um, many of them you can brew as a tea, right? Mm -hmm. Either to like mm, anoint objects or to drink. Now, of course, some of them are, you know, (laughs) my recipes were not designed to be eaten. So even though almost all of them are non-toxic, they're not really delicious. Um, and finally, a lot of incenses you can grind up and smoke out of a pipe, but again, you know, they won't kill you, but they won't really design for that. It, it's not pleasant.
0: I don't yeah. usually
2: recommend it,
0: but you Especially can. like resins, that would be kinda... Yeah,
2: okay, I say smoke, but what I really mean is in magic, a lot of times you sort of like take the smoke into your mouth, but uh-huh. not into your lungs, mm-hmm. and then blow it onto things. Right. Yeah, I would not recommend like. smoking frankincense resin into your lungs i mean truthfully it's like it's still better than a pack a day cigarette habit like Mm -hmm. you know but it's not pleasant or sensible like it won't kill you but it's not a good idea
1: yeah yeah Yeah. so uh,
2: there's more details about like please don't kill yourself in the book
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: those are always important yes
1: Yeah. So since most people are probably most familiar with like a stick incense, and we're talking about loose incense here, can you describe how you would burn a loose incense? Yeah. So most
2: of the time you burn them over incense charcoal. You can buy incense charcoal online or you can really almost anywhere that sells incense will also sell incense charcoal. It's also the same kind of charcoal. I think that you use at the bottom of a hookah, yeah, 100% yeah. positive they're identical. So you could also, I imagine, get it there, right? So you just light the incense and you put um, loose incense on top of it. There are other options, right? You can get an electric incense burner, which is really nice if your goal is to like have things smell nice, right? Because because they're at a lower and more controlled temperature you get a much more like quality sort of subtle burn than you do out of the charcoal where you're really like incinerating the material on it so there's a bit of like an ashy smoky scent beneath it but what you don't get from an electric incense burner is like a big cloud of smoke which is something that in magic oftentimes we specifically want that smoke either because we're gonna like um charge of like we're gonna Run a physical object through it, right? And we want a little bit of that sort of like sticky smoke resin to the soot to get on the object. Yeah. Or because we want to watch like the clouds that the smoke makes and find meaning in them, right? Like let a spirit manifest inside of them or read omens and smoke, right? So I love the electric burner for like making my house smell nice, but I don't usually use it for magic. And then for people who can't have smoke for whatever reason, somebody in their house has asthma or they're in a dorm or a prison where they're not really allowed, um, you can like also just sort of like use it effectively as potpourri, right? Now it's not always designed for that. So you really gotta like put it right up to your nose to smell it. Um, And you can also boil it and like use the the steam, Mm sense the room. But as I mentioned, like all the different methods are gonna change the smell. So you sometimes have to experiment a little bit as you move across media.
0: Yeah,
1: mm-hmm. cool.
0: Yeah, and I sometimes I'll use like, well, we have a wood stove. So in the winter, mm-hmm. I'll use just a little bit of, of a coal. It doesn't last as long as like a charcoal, but oh it's, yeah, it's, it's nice for like a, a brief, when you're just doing a brief thing. Yeah.
2: You Can also, I didn't mention this, but you can also throw whole handfuls of loose incense into an open fire, like a bonfire, mm-hmm. which is great for ritual.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like,
2: it's very effective, but it does like you gotta you gotta sort of price out the incense you're using because it does involve like a lot, like large volumes of incense. It's not a big fire, but it's really yeah. dramatic.
0: There's there's also that that thing. I think it's like in a Dion Fortune book. Um, she like makes fires out of uh, woods like cedar and little sand a little bit of sandalwood and so on. Do you ever do that sort of thing? I like, do. So-,
2: so particularly like all the herbs that I use in in Um, Incense, you know, after I strip the leaves off, I just save the twigs and then I burn those. Sometimes I just light the end of one on fire and like wave it around for a little bit of an incense, but I also layer them into magic fires. And I assume that's sort of like how humans invented incense. Like I imagine it doesn't take that long after you discover fire to discover that like cedar smells good when you burn it and (laughs) use terrible.
0: Yeah, right. Uh-huh. right. <laughs> and it smells it smells so good. Cedar. I mean, we have uh the juniper, the red cedar out here, and that's just that, I mean that's one of my favorite favorite things.
2: Yeah, I use it a lot as well. I grow that too. When I was a little kid, my bedroom had like an old cedar closet attached to mm. it, and I like took it as my like magic laboratory. So wow. for me, like the smell of cedar is Like I was practicing magic in a room made out of cedar. So like that smell is very much wrapped up with me as like one of the fundamental smells of magic.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And when you're, you know, working with consciousness, (laughs) you know, there's so many layers there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't,
2: I didn't like, it was just, I happened to have this closet. Like that was the closet in my room. And I mean, it, It was plenty big enough for like a not, I mean, as an adult, it would be a little tricky to be like a big adult. It'd be a little tricky to be practicing magic in a closet, but you know, as a kid, it worked great.
0: Yeah. And that's another,
2: it felt like a very magical space.
0: Well, that's an interesting kind of like overlap between the practical functions of plants and the magical functions of plants. Yeah. I do
2: not think of those as distinct Right, magic The magical virtues of plants follow from their practical virtues, right? So anything that like will chase away bugs and other like small, almost invisible pests when you burn it is also going to be good for chasing away like spiritual pests.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So things like juniper and mugwort, you know, like that's why they're used that way. And so I guess another way um, that you that you make incense is with, uh, you, you call them cigars.
2: Yeah, so these are what sometimes people call smudge sticks. I think that's like an inaccurate and also slightly appropriative word. So yeah, you can just roll whole herbs up, right? This is one of those times I wish we had a video. It's a little hard to like explain what I'm talking about. But you just mm-hmm. sort of like lay whole herbs down. You wanna save the ones with the bigger leaves for the outside. And really the trick is that you want the herbs to be like dry enough that they're not gonna rot on the inside of the cigar, but not so dry that they're brittle. So you kind of want to dry them most of the way okay. while they're still pl- pliable and then um, roll them up. And then they're usually just um, like basically wrapped in a cotton string, right? So a lot of times I just use cotton embroidery floss. And that also lets you introduce like I, like, colors, right? So you can choose a color appropriate to your magic. And you can do that with either a single individual herb, right? So people do it, um, mugwort is popular. White sage doesn't grow where I live. So I don't have like a lot of experience with it, but that's very common in that form. But you can also mix herbs together. And if you're like clever handed and crafty, you can like make them really pretty, like include some flowers on the outside. Like they can be very beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, You can also buy pre-made mugwort cigars, which, uh, as you mentioned before, are for moxibustion. You can find them anywhere that sells like Chinese traditional medical supplies.
1: Have you tried doing uh, a cigar with white pine needles before?
2: I have, but not only white pine needles because Uh I am like not smart enough to hold them together. Like
1: that's what I was wondering.
2: Uh, You just use bigger leaves on the outside, just like a cigar, right? Mm -hmm. Has whole tobacco leaves on the outside. Yeah. Hold it together. You can put almost anything inside those. You can also, you know, buy empty cigar wrappers like that are made out of tobacco and fill those with herbs. Tobacco is an excellent incense for like a lot of uses.
0: Yeah. Uh Yeah. Yeah. So what what do you use tobacco for magically?
2: Um, I, the most common thing I do with tobacco is I use it as an offering for the dead.
0: Okay. okay yeah so I
2: mean other things as well but that's the most common thing I do and one of the reasons is I also use it as sort of like an emergency incense because at least where I live I can always bum a cigarette off somebody on the street mm-hmm. right? right So right. like if I'm just sort of out and I, I don't smoke so I don't always have them on me mm-hmm. but like my roommates do and also people on the street just do
3: mm-hmm. right
2: so you can sort of always get a cigarette and that means like like that is an incense stick that you can do things with, but I particularly like tobacco for the dead.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, we like to use it as um, an offering to plant spirits when we uh, harvest. That makes sense. But it's, yeah, it's good for a lot of, uh, as offerings, that, that, you know, that we do. But I guess if you're using it like in in a, in a cigar, like literally with the other herbs, I guess if you're doing a, if you're making uh, something specifically, more for working with the dead that's what you would you would use it for
2: yeah i mean i use tobacco for other things as well tobacco is sometimes used in malefic magic because oh. it's a poison right yeah um,
0: Saturn ruled say that again Sa- saturn ruled
2: yeah usually but i also think of it as martial in some uh-huh.
0: contexts it's spicy
1: yeah. It, yeah
2: yeah right so you know the associations of plants with planets some of them are very very clear Right. Yeah. <laughs> but a lot of them like sort of partake of multiple planets, depending where you would. Have. So can also have like a solar element, especially if you combine it with other solar things.
3: hmm mm. Yeah.
2: Because right? it's got kind of like that summery vibe to it. hmm Right. Yeah. And then you can also um just roll in, like roll loose herbs in rolling papers, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like you would to roll a cigarette or a joint and the paper doesn't add a lot. I mean, you can smell the paper a little bit, but it doesn't make an appreciable difference. And that's another way to sort of like, then you kind of have an incense wand that you can wave around like you would. smart. And you can write or draw on the paper to add in like an additional element.
0: Oh, cool, yeah. That makes makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and
2: you can buy those rolling papers like everywhere now. Right. (laughs) Like anywhere that sells cigarettes will also sell rolling papers.
0: So one of the things I like about, well, your, your take on, on these plants and in incense um, is this kind of like more bioregional regional um, way of looking at things. Like you're using the plants that you can grow, that you have relationships with. Right. And, yes. it, and it makes, it makes a lot of sense on a lot of levels, but one of, one of the plants that you talk about that is, I think so cool is white pine.
2: Yeah. Um, I love white pine. Like that's yeah. a close ally of mine.
0: Mm. Yeah. So why, why do you love white pine? I've got my reasons. <laughs> I mean,
2: a lot of it is like, I just like live with a white pine. Like that's my neighbor, you uh-huh. know, yeah, cool. so, like I do have this relationship, but also white pine is, um, like the king of the forest where I live. Right. Like a lot of times it's the tallest tree around it. It grows really fast. And it has a lot of like cool cultural associations, right? That you can draw on in magic. Mm. Um, But also, I mean, pine in general, like the reason I prefer white pine, the reason I prefer white pine to other pine is just because like that's what I have access to, right?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. But like it's, you know, um, There are many kinds of trees, right? Are sort of like small and they don't grow that old, right? But pine, like they get huge and they get very, very old. And I feel like that whole category of plant, like they have a sort of wisdom quality to them Mm -hmm. that comes with age that I really like. But another thing I really like about pine is it's so ubiquitous in our life. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about your home, but if you like, I am willing to bet that it's at least partly made out of pine, right? Mm -hmm. The paper that my book is made from, again, I don't actually know what it's made from, but I bet it's at least partly pine, right? Mm -hmm. Like, pine is just a tree that, at least here on the East Coast, is just ubiquitous. Like, we make everything out of it. And so I think you know, I was saying before about how like you can treat it as an object from which to extract value, right. right? Particularly because we do extract so much value from it. I think it's a really good and powerful like plant to build an alliance with. Um, cause it's around, you know, it's a survival ally. Like,
0: yeah, yeah. Plant, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In, in Western Pennsylvania, like the only old growth that I know of is white pine, you know? Yeah, there.
2: exactly. Like every once in a while you can find like a really old oak, maybe.
0: Yeah. The old, yeah but I really
2: feel like, like, like uh grandmother pine is like the queen of our forest, you know? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the pine resin is just so wonderful.
2: I love pine resin as an incense. Like it 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 smells like somehow it smells like sunshine and Christmas at the same time, (laughs) which like is a really interesting combination. I find, you know.
0: Yeah, and it's just it's so amazing when you when you realize that oh, I could go harvest some pine resin or some spruce resin, and it in a lot of ways is just as good as this frankincense, which is oh,
2: absolutely. I mean, in some ways it's better, especially for magic that is like rooted in the place that
0: it is.
2: This time of year I will recommend people that at least where I live Christmas trees are almost all pine and if you like go when they're not busy and just ask nicely like they'll let you harvest resin from their trees like a Christmas tree nursery
1: wow that's clever pine
2: is is weepy like almost any pine people think that resin I mean people who listen to this podcast I guess like know about plants but people think resin is just hardened sap but it's not It's like a special fluid the tree makes to heal its wounds. And because those Christmas trees are like constantly getting like people walking through them, they have like little branches and stuff break off all the time. And pine makes particularly a lot of resin. So if you're going to harvest resin, like don't, don't take all of it, right? Because the tree needs that to heal, but there will be like drips of it underneath. Yeah. Every place where it's broken and you can just pop them off. The easiest way to do it in my experience is with a butter knife.
3: Hmm. Yeah, but
2: don't expect to ever use that butter knife for anything else again because that's resin. <laughs> like, just have a resin knife and just like accept that it will never be clean.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's good advice. Yeah,
0: yeah and it, it, to me, white pine. I mean, and we, we have a lot of spruce around here too. Big, mm-hmm. big, beautiful spruce, and they they even have sometimes more resin than the the pines. Yeah, um, but they're both just really good. I mean, they're slightly yeah, the different. Spruce
2: resin is beautiful. It's really um. sort of like cool and
1: clear-sighted
2: I think of it that
3: way uh, I
1: really yeah I want to try it. I haven't I actually haven't burned pine or spruce have you Isaac yeah
0: okay. yeah they're, cool. they're they're great. Um, nice. the other thing though is like evergreens have such a primal power to me like
1: they're
0: yeah they're they're ancient and they're like yeah. they go straight up to heaven you know. Yeah, and they're green I mean, in the winter. <laughs> it's like so many things. Yeah, yeah,
2: I really think of, like, you know, in some ways their core magical value is their like evergreen immortality, right?
3: Yeah. Like, so I think
2: of that as like sort of their central magical power. And then they have lots of other virtues as well, depending on what kind of evergreen it is. So I'm just how- out here, that you is poisonous when you burn it.
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah, please, thank you. I mean, I'm not yeah. gonna
2: say that I never do that. It's actually a quite common ingredient in like cursing incense, uh-huh. but you know, I mean, like honestly, look, I'm not telling anybody to do anything dangerous, but as an adult, unless you're in a very enclosed space or you like put your head directly over the charcoal and huff,
1: uh-huh.
2: like you're not usually burning a sufficient quantity of incense that you could poison yourself with it. So yeah. I'm not recommending it, but like it's, it's actually pretty hard to hurt. Like yeah. you're much more likely to just burn your fingers than you are to poison yourself because there's just not enough of it.
0: Well, and you read some of those grimoires. There's some, some funky stuff they're burning. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, I don't know. I did. I did hear about some people like back, back in the day who who did die from enclosing them like hot boxing with like um like really poisonous plants
2: yeah i mean like i don't
0: you have to basically do that
2: (laughs) right also your body can tell like you can smell something and your body's like oh no stop breathing that yeah (laughs) breathing that right Like, like things that are poison i mean i'm sure there are things that are poisonous when burned, but also smell good, but everything I'm thinking, maybe tobacco,
0: Uh,
2: right. But for the most part, like things that are poisonous smell bad. So like you'll know not to breathe it.
0: Yeah. It's the same thing with like, with plants, like for harvesting too, you can usually tell, I mean, you should know what plants you're uh, positively ID, you know, if you're wild harvesting anything, but oftentimes like stuff that, doesn't taste good it's not good
2: <laughs> yeah exactly i i feel like on especially for like whole plant material you know so i feel like once you're using things like essential oils they're so concentrated that they start to be pretty dangerous but right, right, plant right. material like you just can't it's the poisonous ones are gross so it's <laughs> not that easy to consume enough of them to really hurt you yeah now, please don't take that as a challenge and go out like <laughs> huffing every random weed you find.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so, I'm just interested in, in how you would classify like white pine, uh, like in the cor- cor- like correspondences with with planets, for instance.
2: Um. Like, so, as I mentioned, sometimes I think of it as solar. Right. Right. Um, and sometimes I think of it as lunar right because it has that sort of like visionary aspect to Mm -hmm. it right Mm -hmm. but you can also think of it at like (sighs) i think you can think of it in a lot of ways like the resin right Mm -hmm. i would think of as solar because i think generally most resins are solar Mm -hmm. right the needles sometimes we use in very martial ways because they're little blades
3: yeah
2: right Mm -hmm. you can think of it as saturnian if you are calling on it's like evergreen immortality aspect, right? You can Uh. call on it as jovial if you think about it as, as I mentioned, as like king of the woods.
3: Right.
2: right? So I think like, I guess personally, like I'm leery about thinking of the planets as like a covering set for everything in existence. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense, right? I think of them as like, much more relevant to things in the sky than they are to things on earth. Right. So just like I can talk about like which element a plant is associated with, that's also not always going to be like a clean categorization.
0: Yeah. It's a way of describing or like finding meaning in something, but it's not, you know, the map's not the territory.
2: Exactly. Exactly. And I, I guess I personally just feel like the planetary map is not particularly like well-suited to plants Hmm. where I think that, and here's why, because I think that as human beings, we actually understand a pine tree, a thing with which like almost every human on earth has direct contact. Like almost everybody has physically been in the presence of pine. They know what pine smells like. They probably even know what pine tastes like, right? Because like they just exist ubiquitously in our environment as opposed to like Venus, which people know really only through like some obscure book learning that is like layers and layers and layers of complex cultural propaganda.
3: Hmm. Yeah, so, I mean,
2: Like I love astrology, but I think like plants, like they're, they're quite immediate.
3: Like? Right, yeah. It's
2: actually much easier to just get to know pine. I like being around a pine tree than it is to like learn a lot of sort of like a table of correspondences of
1: it. Oh, for sure. <laughs> that makes any sense. Sir. Oh, I can relate to that. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: And pine's such a good one to like sit by. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: I, I yeah, I really like pine trees at Christmas time. I get little pine saplings and like hand them out. Oh. I mean, it, you know, with COVID, so we haven't had like a big crisp like I say crisp, but I really mean like solstice party. Yeah. Um you know, we have winter
0: that. holiday. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
3: Exactly. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And they've got all those good terpenes in them too. Like there's, there's a whole forest mm-hmm. bathing thing. A lot of that is from the terpenes exactly. and there's just so much good stuff. Um, so yeah. another plant that you said that you use a lot is rose you use rose yeah. petals, And I guess you would use that, use that for like love. Yeah. And- so
2: I most often use them for like sort of love and beauty, but I also use them, like not just for romantic love, right? But for the idea that like, like dear spirit who I'm giving roses, like I love you, smell uh, how smell beautiful this is, right? Yeah. So I also use those a lot for the dead, right? Um, but yeah, primarily, I guess I use them, like roses on the other hand, have a very clear like planetary association, right? Yeah, roses Venus. are associated <laughs> with Venus and they have been, like very strongly, that's like a very tight cultural connection, right? And so like that one, and that's not to say I couldn't use roses in other kinds of planetary incense, right? But there's a long tradition of the association of rose with um, the planet Venus and with the goddess Venus as well. And again, I use roses because I grow roses. So I have access to large quantities of rose petals. Um, just as a side note, I want to remind people that like roses that you got from a florist are yeah. covered in pesticides and it's not ideal to breathe them.
0: Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's really important to note. So that's if
2: it. you want to use, you know, sometimes you want to use florist roses in incense like for their magical property. Like, like this is the rose that my lover gave me and I'm going to use it in a spell to like heal that relationship. Then sometimes you want to take like one petal of that, and then just bulk it out with um, clean rose petals,
3: mm-hmm. right? Because
2: again, in those small quantities, you don't have to worry so much, but, and I'm sure some florists, I, I don't buy cut flowers. I, I don't buy florist flowers very often, but I'm sure there are like organic florists.
0: There yeah. should be by yeah. now, no, I am sure. sure
2: that exists, but I don't, <laughs> uh, hand to God, the only time I buy rose flowers is for funerals really. And mm-hmm. even then, I actually have a superstition about how it's better to give a live plant than dead cut flowers at a funeral. So hmm. I really, I usually give live plants. At a
0: that's interesting. That, ma- that makes sense symbolically.
2: I feel like I might have just picked that up from my Jewish family, but I don't think that's a Jewish thing. I think it might just be my family. <laughs> cool. I don't know. Good tradition. Yeah.
1: What about our herbs, plants, trees um, that you use for money and prosperity, like drawing money? And I
2: really like, um, tobacco actually is good in wealth magic. Right. Um, but some of my favorites for wealth magic are sort of like, um, like sort of the spice road luxury spices because they have that long association.
3: Ah, uh, yeah.
2: Which is, I will say specifically for like, Reasons associated with its history. Nutmeg is commonly used in wealth magic.
3: Hmm.
2: I don't usually, like, I don't know if people know the, like, terrible history of nutmeg, but, like, whole peoples were genocided Mm -hmm. so that Europeans could gain control of nutmeg. And for me, that's just, like, a step too far. I don't want that in my wealth magic, Mm. where I feel like it's really tied into wealth, right? Like, it's easy for wealth magic to sort of go in a weird, exploity way.
3: Yeah. Mm. Right.
2: So particularly, I don't like that, but I do like generally, um, spices for that. Frankincense is good for that again, because it's like an imported luxury good. Mm -hmm. Um, and it has an association with gold. Oh, another thing that I like in, um, in wealth drawing magic is, um, you know, something you can do Remember I was saying that an electric burner, it burns slower and cooler than a charcoal. You can put something on, you can put like a heat sink on top of the charcoal between the charcoal and the incense to get a similar effect. And so I often do that with um, coins for Wealth Magic, particularly those like dollars. I'll put one directly on top of the charcoal, put the incense on top of that. It slows down the incense a little bit, um, but you also end up with a enchanted coin.
1: That's so cool. I love that.
2: And today I feel like American coins now there's so many varieties that like you can really like pick out one with like an image that matches the kind of magic you're doing.
0: Mhm. Hmm. Yeah, that Super makes sense. Cool. Makes sense. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh wealth magic is it seems like another thing that like as you were saying can go off the rails pretty easy um do you have like ethical con- considerations for that or like practical considerations like do you like
2: yeah, so... oh go ahead i'll let you finish well it off. seems
0: like sometimes like you know you'll, you'll see somebody who gets like a bulk a lump sum of money and they just spend it like that you know what i mean um and, and they can end up in a worse place than they were before um yeah i mean
2: <laughs> I generally yeah. think of there being like several kinds of money magic, right? Yeah, yeah. The first kind is what I think of as like quick cash, right? Like I need six hundred dollars by the end of this month, right? There's another kind that's um, getting out of debt, right, which is actually essentially like a banishing spell usually right?
3: Um, And
2: then you have like income generating ones and wealth building. But finally, you have what I think of as like money healing, like our culture's relationship to wealth and money is deeply, deeply fucked up, right? Um, (laughs) I find among pagans, like a lot of really unhealthy attitudes toward money, where they like believe that that money is the root of all evil, but actually the saying is that the love of money is the root of all evil, right? Mm -hmm. And that money is just like part of living our life in the world. And unless you're gonna go live in a cave, like your only option is to get right with it, right? So I think that like magic whose goal is to like reframe your relationship with money and heal some of like, we all have like weird money trauma, right that's the last kind of money magic and i think a lot of times except in like a quick cash situation right where like you're just sort of like a once and done you need to do it right now and like it, there's not if you need 600 by the end of the month like the ethics of the situation are that you're you're probably pulling up you know what i mean like you don't you don't really have enough power in that situation to be tightly ethically constrained, right? Like in fact, you're desperate and desperate times call for desperate measures, right? But once you're starting to talk about like bigger kinds of money magic, right? Money magic so that like you're not constantly out of money before you're out of month. That's where I think you need to be sort of like wise and strategic about it and really think about like your long-term relationship with money. And I will say like, honestly, most people's, problem with money is that they don't make enough of it so like income generating magic is actually like what most people need for not not windfall magic but they need to like restructure their life in a way that has more money coming in
0: yeah like good steady work exactly yeah and where you're getting, getting value, your value of your labor, <laughs> which is pretty hard to do these days.
2: Right, so. and so that brings in like these whole other categories of magic, right? Like sweetening magic, magic designed to get somebody to like you. Like sweetening your boss on you is many times the most effective kind of money magic, the kind that just gets you a raise or a yeah. promotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's, I guess, and that it would depend on like what herbs you're using, um, depending on what your goal is, right? So you, you'd use more sweet herbs in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. Funny.
2: Right? So like for quick cash, I really like like frankincense, cinnamon, mm, like citrus, and maybe a little tobacco, right? Tobacco, I think it was like a lucky plant, a plant that draws luck to you, right? We were talking before. That's another thing that I use tobacco for, right? So yeah. that's like a sort of like go-to um like quick cash, and I said frankincense, but really almost any kind of resin. So like pine resin would be great in that, right? And is available to most people, right? So I, and that's something that like, you can definitely make out of things that are easy to get, right? Everybody get their hands on some pine resin, on some citrus peels, on some tobacco, right? And like, you can make that happen. Cedar, I really like for wealth. I think of like the great cedars of Lebanon as good for wealth magic
0: yeah that makes sense
2: yeah but like i said it, it does depend on the context so there's there's several different like um wealth money magic um recipes in the book
0: cool yeah I'm, the recipe I'm,
2: i just gave i think in the book is called ka-ching, ka-ching. <laughs> that's great <laughs> you would think that i would just like know all the recipes in this book but i just... <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah
0: well you know i'm on another level you know yeah, yeah you know them in your, in your bones, I guess. Right.
2: <laughs> well, like I was saying, I rarely, um, like, you know, I feel like maybe just like everybody's grandma, like until I had to write down a recipe, I didn't really have a recipe. I was just like a little bit of this, a little bit of that. How's yeah. that <laughs> yep. You know? yeah. mm-hmm. But in the book yeah. I had to actually measure and write things down.
0: Yeah. Right. I think I'm actually an Italian grandma. Um, in, like in, in my in my soul,
2: I feel like the world would be better if everybody was a Mediterranean grandma. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Like, I say as like my half Greek, half Jewish self. Like, really, we should just put Mediterranean grandmas in charge of everything. no <laughs>
0: yeah. yeah. just everyone come here. Let's get let's get that's some. good everyone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I got a lot of cancer in my in my charts. So that's probably why. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you you were talking earlier about um your work with the Greek magical papyri and how that yeah. um. Know, took this working with incenses to another level. Do you think you could talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So, a lot of times in those recipes, like you have to interpret historical recipes from the PGM or from like a variety of other historical products. Mm-hmm. And it's not always as straightforward as it sounds because, one, you know, names for plants change a lot. Like, if you ask, even just in the United States, right, the same plant can have a ton of different regional names. So then when you expand yeah. that out to like a foreign culture, the thousands of years in the past, it's sometimes not even clear what they're actually talking about. And sometimes the things they are talking about are just not available. I mean, sometimes those plants are extinct. Sometimes they're just really hard to get, right? Um, yeah. But additionally, the recipes aren't always complete. They don't have... Um, They don't have measurements. So you kind of have to like reconstruct them. And you have to do that sort of by understanding that culture and those plants and like why they might have chosen those, right? And then sort of figuring out, well, what's missing from this? Like there's this one word in a recipe I can't translate. So like what must be missing, right? And you can kind of think to yourself, well, it has to be like this kind of plant because if I were making this recipe, like that's the sort of magical virtue that's missing in this recipe. Mm -hmm. So um, the PGM is one place, but lots of other places. I mean, um, even just in the Bible, right? Um, There's a recipe for incense um, that I reconstruct in the book, right? That you have to sort of read between the lines a little bit to interpret um, for a variety of reasons, including, uh, you know, I grew up Jewish, so I didn't, uh, when I am reading Bible, I'm not usually reading like a Christian translation, but I found out that many Christian translations claim that they don't know what plant cannabis is, but it's definitely cannabis. Like the holy <laughs> incense of the Bible is is, is can- I mean there's other things in it as well. It includes a lot of cannabis. And you know, for a while this was the debate, but now like at this point in archaeology every time we dig up an altar in ancient Israel, it is covered in cannabis resin.
1: Wow, that's so so interesting.
2: Right, but then if you're gonna reconstruct this recipe, you know, Bronze Age weed is not the same as like this genetically engineered, modern super weed that we have. So you have to like adjust in that way. And that's true for a lot of plants that like, the plant we are using is like an extremely domesticated version that like, is much stronger in some ways and weaker in others than the wild version that like the ancient recipes are calling for. But weed in particular, I mean, even in the last, remember I was saying I had a friend who who was really into herbal medicine. Well, you know, before she went to school in natural she did biochemistry and plant genetics. And she said that like weed engineering is like the hot place to be in plant genetics research. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, even in the last, like, 20 years, marijuana has been, like, turned into this crazy super plant compared to its wild versions, right? And in a slower and less, like, mm, accelerated process, right, that happens to a lot of plants as we domesticate them, right? right? Um, And so, like, basically any plant that you're buying at the supermarket is is a domesticated version that is in some ways quite different from its wild kin that's being called for in ancient recipe so you have to kind of adjust
1: proportions for that Mm -hmm. Mm, yeah interesting point
0: but this also seems like it takes a while to like get the hang of it you know you gotta practice a lot to just like with cooking you know you gotta like experiment and
2: i mean the nice thing about incense is like you know, as long as you stick to like nice smelling things, <laughs> most combinations of them will also smell nice. Mm. Like it's actually pretty hard to mess up an inside. Like <laughs> if you if you just take like a sort of a very basic pantry, so you have like some resin and maybe some rose petals and like some cinnamon and some tobacco and maybe some mugwort or some other kind of Artemisia and like maybe some kind of salvia. I like rosemary. Ooh. Like, there's really no combination. And, and then like some aromatic wood, like some seas- some cedar, it's really any combination of those things is going to be nice,
3: mm-hmm. mm.
2: you know? And they're just going to be different. And it's just a matter of like experience. You know what I mean? Like once you know what things smell like individually, then you start to learn what they smell like in combination.
1: Have you ever burned Tulsi holy basil? Yes. Yeah.
2: Um, I really like it. It's a little, I like, that's one of those that I like on the electric burner uh-huh. mm. because I feel like like a lot of herbs, the incense charcoal is so hot that it just ignites it. And so you lose a lot of the more like complex mm-hmm. um, scents. For so I use it more often in like teas and potions.
1: Mm. Yeah. because I, I, do- I do, I have
2: incense it. and it's beautiful.
1: hmm we'll, we'll use the sticks after I garble them for tea Mm -hmm, um, and put them in the wood stove and make like, you know, just a lovely little ceremony out of, you know, burning them and it's makes the house smell good. So yeah,
2: exactly. And that's what I was saying about like, basically every plant I harvest leaves from, I save the wood for Uh save fires.
1: Yeah. It's really cool. Which
2: like I sometimes lay like Basically the same way you would build a a campfire out of bigger logs. I'll lay it out of like tiny little twigs inside my cauldron and light that for ritual. Very
1: cool.
2: And by cauldron, I actually technically mean a Dutch oven, but I-
1: (laughs) Mm. It is, it's a cauldron.
2: Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the difference is that a cauldron doesn't have a flat bottom. Oh yeah. So mine will definitely sit on a table. So I, I believe that, I don't know. Again, I'm sure somebody, I- I love when like nerds tell me about things they're nerdy about, like as a fellow <laughs> nerd. So I encourage some like nerd about kettles to tell me like all the different things about like the difference between a
1: kettle and a cauldron. <laughs> and Hell yeah! yeah.
0: Well, uh, we are we are en- uh, coming near to the end of our time. Um, okay. we've, this has been a really wonderful conversation I with the Thank you. Yeah. Um, do you think that you could, well, share with our listeners what's going on for you? You've just come out with this new book. You have something in uh, January, you said? Yeah.
2: So my next in-person appearance will be at the Sacred Space Between the Worlds conference in January, which is in suburban Baltimore. Um, If you just Google sacred space between the world's magic conference, it'll come right up. You can see all the details. I really strongly recommend it. Like it's probably my favorite conference of the year and it's my first in-person conference in a long time, I think for all of us. So I'm really excited to like actually see people and work magic in person with uh, like a big group. Mm, Um, Other things that are going on for me. Let's see. Um, I am putting out a second edition of my, I have a translation of the Orphic Hymns, which are a collection of sacred poetry from ancient Greece. So I have a translation of them out now. It's called Orphic Hymns Grimoire, and that will be coming out in a second edition um, with some new content and more illustrations. That'll be out probably late next year from Hadean Press. Um, And the book I'm working on right now, which I guess will be out probably in about two years is on the Planetary Pentacles of Solomon, Magician King. Um, I'm also Mm. teaching a course on that topic, which you can check out. Uh, You can see all my stuff at witchlessons.com. W-I-T-C-H lessons, L-E-S-S-O-N-S.com.
1: Awesome. And definitely we recommend picking up for all of our listeners to pick up the big book of Magical Incense, which just came out, which is super cool.
2: Yeah. And I'm just going to put in a little plug here. Um, I mean, like it's the same to me. It doesn't make any difference to me like financially where you buy it, but I'm just going to put in a plug that like maybe instead of buying it from Amazon, call your local like independent bookstore, either like a witchy bookstore or just like a regular local independent bookstore and ask them to order it for you. Because I think especially for people who are coming up in magic now, I think like they don't appreciate how important those in-person stores are as like these central physical hubs of our community, right? That it's Absolutely great that we no. have an internet that connects us, but those stores are like the physical anchors that yeah. hold our community together. So I really encourage people to to go check those out and they'll order any book you want them to order including by. Yeah.
0: I think that's really important. Totally. And for those that are maybe out in the country or don't have a, a book a store close by. There's also this, the bookshop.com. Do you know about that? And they, they raise money yeah. for, for small bookstores too. Um, and they're not on Amazon.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's a great option. Really? I mean, you, I'm not going to judge you if you buy it on Amazon. like, I'm not going to lie and say, I've never ordered anything from Amazon, but you know, they're actually the literal devil in the worst possible <laughs> way. So.
0: I now, anything
2: is better than that in my opinion
0: right. yeah but I think supporting bookstores is just so crucial it it really is it's hard to understand uh, for people growing up with the internet you know how important they they were and they know, were and
2: continue that. to be yeah right and also like it's it's a place to meet people like when you go yeah. to the store and talk to them like you now know somebody who knows every witch in your town mm. and that's like a a nice contact to have.
3: Right, you know, Like right. they can
2: hook you into, into the bigger magical scene. I'm just gonna play a final plug. Like There is no substitute, right? None for working magic with other people like hand in hand sharing breath. Like it really is an amazing and transformative experience that like, I think a lot of people today their practice is entirely solitary and that's okay if it's a choice but like, consider now that things are starting to ease up from quarantine a little bit, like getting out and meeting people and working magic with other people and really building a community, right? Yeah. My final like preachiness for the day. <laughs> Love no, it. No, it's
0: great. I mean, it's all about relationships, you know? It's, I
2: think so. it,
0: Yeah. Well, thank you, Sarah. And uh,
2: Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was Us a lot too. of fun. And I enjoy your work broadly. So thank you
1: for doing oh. it. Thanks. Thank you. Likewise. Appreciate that. Yeah. Cheers. Enjoy the rest of your night.